In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Dear saints, today we consider Jesus' first miracle when he turned around 150 gallons of water into wine at a wedding in Cana. Now, at first glance, it's a seemingly insignificant miracle. In fact, when you compare this miracle to all of his other miracles, this, I would argue, is the most unimportant and unnecessary one, which is giving wine to a bunch of people who could very well live without it. And this is the sign the miracle that Jesus opens up his ministry with. If it were up to me, I would have suggested to the Lord, if he even asked me, right, that he begin his ministry with something like the healing of a leper or the casting out of a demon or even the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Then I could stand here and preach to you how important it is that the Lord has come to defeat sin, death, and the devil and free us from all of these things, all because that's his first miracle. But his first miracle was the changing of water into wine. Now, Jesus did hundreds of other miracles, some we don't even know of. Some of these miracles were spectacular miracles that left the crowds amazed and the Pharisees stunned. So, why does Jesus begin with this miracle? Do the people really need more wine? We know they ran out because of their carelessness, but they didn't really need that wine. I mean, no one was going to die because they didn't have this wine, right? Even more, when Jesus did this, hardly anyone noticed that or realized that it was a miracle. The master of the feast doesn't know what happened or where the wine came from. Neither do the bride and the groom or anyone else invited to that wedding. We're told that the servants and the disciples know where the wine came from, but that's about it. There is no thanking Jesus here, no giving of an award, no applause, no cheering, no amazement from the crowds. He does a miracle in secret, one that hardly anyone sees or gives him credit for. This miracle is so mundane, so common, so unnecessary and unimportant, so non critical, so unspiritual, that preachers like me oftentimes get stuck when we get this text. Some will try to spiritualize the text and try to read something into the text that may not be there. This miracle is just so little, so small, comparatively speaking, that we struggle just to try to find something to preach on or what to say. But rather than try and get behind the text or preach on something uh, to, to you that is not there in the gospel lesson or make it seem as if it's deeper than it might actually be, let me suggest this to you. That the real significance of this miracle is in its insignificance. What makes this miracle so great 
is its smallness. And it's this miracle that says a lot, I would argue maybe the most, about the heart of Jesus and what he thinks of us. This text doesn't say that Jesus planned this miracle, that he did it beforehand or that he designed it, that he purposefully uh, set things up this way. Uh, obviously, in the grand scheme of things, he did. But we don't see anything through in the life of Jesus that he invited himself there, that he went with that purpose. However, we also don't have to speculate, speculate why Jesus did what he did. The very text tells us why Jesus did what he did in this wedding. And the reason was this. Somebody prayed. Mary prayed to Jesus when she said, they have no wine. I know it doesn't sound like a prayer, but it is a prayer, not because of who she is or what she says or how she says it. It's a prayer because of the one who heard it, namely Jesus. He heard those words and then he went and did something about it. Here's a side note. I want you to get out of your mind this idea that prayer has to sound a certain way or be said a certain way as if God won't really listen to it or accept it because it's short or it's clunky or you stutter or it's not that good or it's disorganized. You don't have to pray in a certain way to be heard by God. He hears your prayers because you have faith in him. Faith is the determining factor between the prayers that God hears and the prayers he does not hear. He doesn't listen to Mary spoke these words in faith, believing that Jesus could do something, even though she didn't know how or what he would do. She spoke these words and said, they have no wine. And consider the way she says it. She says, they have no wine. It's an indicative statement. (laughs) She's stating a fact. She's not asking. She's simply saying, look, they have no wine. But you know You know what she's doing, don't you? (laughs) This is a statement that implies a request. You know how this goes. At home, when your wife says, hey, honey, the trash is full. (laughs) She's not just saying a random fact about the day, right? (laughs) When your husband says, hey, honey, I'm hungry. It's not just a conversation starter. (laughs) There's more there. They're asking you to do something about it without actually asking you to do something about it. Maybe they're shy or timid or feel bad about asking you to do it. But when they tell you, they tell you because they know you're going to do something about it. They're really asking. So if there's any fault with Mary's prayer, that's it. It's not that her prayer for wine is too worldly or too mundane or too small of a request. The fault with Mary's prayer is that she seems to have too low of an opinion of the Lord's compassion. She thinks that her request is beneath the Lord, not worth the bidding. She doesn't really want to bother him she asks in faith although it's a weak faith when she asks in this way it's kind of like a boy who's too timid and shy to ask out the pretty girl he likes to the dance 
right? Instead of just asking her, he simply says, so you know I, I don't have uh, anyone to take with me to the dance on Friday, right? He's just stating that. He doesn't want to ask her flat out because she may say no. That opens up the opportunity for her to say, I don't want to go with you. He may think she's too important, too popular, too pretty to ask her out. So he, he doesn't get around to it. He doesn't say it directly. And this is what we hear in Mary's words. When she says, you know, Jesus, they have no wine. She's timid. She is not quite sure if he's going to help, if he's going to act. But she knows that if anyone can, it is him. And Jesus hears this in her words. You know this because of what he does. He didn't just shrug his shoulders and walk away and say, okay. He actually answered her prayer. Before he acts, he responded to her. And when Jesus responds, he says, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Uh, So I want to clear some things up here. These words sound a bit harsh, uh, but they're not. Uh, First, when Jesus says woman, this is a term of endearment, one of respect. It's like uh, someone saying to their mother or to an older woman, yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am, right? Something like that. And we know it's not demeaning or disrespectful because Jesus says the same thing from the cross. As he's hanging on the cross, he tells Mary, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. And second, when Jesus says, what does this have to do with me? He's not saying, don't bother me or leave me alone. He's not dismissing her. He's actually drawing this prayer out of her, out of Mary, clarifying the request as if he's saying this, Mary, is, is this a prayer? Are you asking me to do something? He's not saying no to her in these words or ridiculing her. He's shedding light on these words and he's drawing this out of her. And here's the point. Mary's prayer wasn't especially crucial. But it was important to her in that moment. And this is what surprises us. That God finds even the smallest and most insignificant of our concerns to be significant and important to Him when they're important to us. Your prayers, no matter how big or small or impossible or insignificant they might seem, are no bother to the Lord Jesus. Don't try to be clever and overly pious and humble to pray only when you need something big or important. Don't think you should stop asking God for certain things so that you can save up those prayers for a greater and more substantial request. That's not how it works. There is no maximum limit to your prayers and there's no request too big or small. And don't think you can bother God by your prayers. You can't. If you do think this way, repent, change your mind. Because then you're basing prayer on yourself, on your works, on your merits, on your heart, on your words, and not on the heart of Jesus, on who he is, on the fact that he wants to hear your voice and on the great and profound love and grace and mercy he has for you. 
Prayer is an act of faith. It's trust that God will listen to you because he cares for you. So why is it that you don't pray for certain things? Why is it that you don't ask God for seemingly insignificant things? Do you think he'll laugh at you? Do you think he'll mock you and tell you that you're stupid? Do you think the things that matter to you are too meager and trivial for him? Do you think that your requests are on the fringe for God, that you are a distraction from something greater for him, something more important that's in the way? (laughs) No. You are the important thing to him. He doesn't keep you in the periphery. He says, you are the apple of my eye. He numbers the hairs on your head. His banner over you is love. He loves you and he absolutely adores you. He has no greater delight than to hear your voice, to listen to your pleas, to answer your prayer. Jesus knows what you want to ask, so ask it. He's not embarrassed by your prayers. He's not burdened by them or bothered by them. He loves your prayers and all of them. Every single desire of your heart. So why does Jesus do this miracle first? It's because he wants you to learn this about him. If God is willing to take serious all of these small and insignificant things, then how much more will God take care of the greater and more important things. If God uses his infinite wisdom and power to give Mary and all the people at that wedding the things they don't need, a wine, a drink that they don't really need, then how much more will God do everything in his power to give you the things that he knows you need? If God wants to give you things you don't need, don't you think he'll also give you things you do? If God cares about things that are seemingly insignificant, don't you think he'll care about the things that are significant? And that's how Jesus teaches you not to worry in Matthew 6. He comforts you by arguing from the lesser to the greater. He says that, look, if God provides for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, which are here today and gone tomorrow, how much more do you think he will provide for you? And he loves you. He loves you vastly more than them, than them. If God cares for these little things, won't he care for you, the crown of his creation? So do you think he'll leave you in your sin? That he'll leave you in the grave or that he'll let the devil win against you? The God who cares enough to provide wine for people to people who don't really need it is the same God who cares enough to give you his blood for the forgiveness that you truly need. The same God who brings back joy to a wedding through wine is the same God who gives you joy through his suffering and death. The same God who gladly gives you what what seems to be unimportant is the same God who gives you the most important thing, his forgiveness. That is who God is, and that's what he thinks of you. Dear saints, God cares for you, all of you, and for every part of you. 
He even cares for what you may think is insignificant. Your prayers, every one of them are precious to him. They are heard by him and they matter to him. The Lord loves your prayers, not because of the content of the prayer or because of how you pray. He loves your prayers because he loves you. He has died for you. He has forgiven your sins. He has baptized you and he is alive and he hears your prayers. So this means that your prayers are not some sort of empty psychological comfort mechanism to make you or others feel good. The Lord actually listens and he does things. He will do things that he wouldn't have done otherwise. He will change what he was going to do because someone prayed and asked him. Prayer is not small or insignificant. It is the most crucial and important thing a Christian can do. It's the way a Christian can help out others the most. God loves when you pray for yourself, when you pray for other people. None of your prayers are in vain. None of them. Not one of your prayers go unlistened to by the Father. In fact, consider this. When people join the church or come back to church after wandering away, or after being gone for a long time, or convert in their final days, oftentimes we find out that someone, or two or three people, were quietly praying for their conversion for some time. Oftentimes years or decades before them. And God answers these prayers. So don't stop praying. Keep praying. Pray for your children. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their future spouse and your children's children. Pray for your spouse. Pray that God give you daily bread, the things that you need in this body and life. Pray for the things that you want, the things that you desire, the things that you think are too little or beneath God. He cares about those. Pray for one another. Pray for what you're tempted to think is unimportant. If it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to God. He has not died for you in vain. He loves you and he knows your needs before you even ask them. Blessed be God who has not turned away our prayer, the Psalms say, nor his mercy from us. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.